Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. This is Last Drinks Podcast, a new conversation about how to navigate an awesome life without alcohol, reframing the cultural norms around alcohol in our lives, and hosted by me, Maz Compton. Sober since 2015. Hey, Pod Squad. It is time for another episode of Last Drinks. And this is a heavy one, team. Firstly, I want to say that I am releasing this episode of Last Drinks on the anniversary of my father's passing. So I want to dedicate this episode to my dear old dad, Dennis, the D-train. Um, miss you, dad. It's just not the same without you here. And I also just wanted to let everybody know that this chat with Kate Christie about her really inspirational book called The Life List, Master Every Moment and Live an Audacious Life really, um, it really got me (laughs) and you'll hear that very early on in our chat. Um, I think if you've been listening to this podcast for a while, especially over the last 12 months, you will know that I have been through some significant grief in the last year of my life. It's layered and it's complex. Um, and I, it's something that I am still really wrestling with and trying to process and doing my best to sit with the grief of losing my dad and also one of my very best friends who passed away in November last year. And at the start of my chat with Kate, her explaining, you know, the backstory as to how she came up with the idea of the life list, it really just got me. And I'm, I'm never one to shy away from being vulnerable. I, you know, I like to think that even though, um, me going through a really big season of grief is deeply personal and really difficult. I am more than happy to share that with people because I'm hoping that by me being vulnerable, and talking about my feelings and the fact that I don't have it all together is hopefully going to be encouraging to somebody else. Um, So that's why I have left in the very raw and um, brutal start to our conversation because I really think it's important that people hear what pain sounds like and I think it's really important for people to understand that life doesn't always go our way and sometimes you just get thrown a huge lot of unfairness and injustice and it's up to us to find our way through that. And this conversation 
even though it was, you know, quite confronting for me to have was really helpful actually. And I'm really grateful to Kate for, um, sharing her really full on and harrowing story. And I really hope that you guys enjoy. I know that's a weird word to use when it comes to talking about pain and vulnerability and sadness, but I hope that you find it valuable and I hope that you um, can find something for yourself in this chat. Um, So enjoy, yeah, this really special podcast episode dedicated to the D-Train. It's Last Drinks with Kate Christie. Because I'm about to release a book and I know how exciting slash scary it is to put your story and your heart and your soul out there into the universe. So well done to you for doing that. Thank you so much. It is, look, and well done for you too to be um, launching your book. It It is huge. I, I saw a funny meme the other day and it was as a, as a writer, as an author, we, we have the, our two greatest fears are that first someone will read our book and then the other greatest fear is that no one will read our book. <laughs> oh, my God. And I think that sort of sums it up beautifully. It really does. So can you tell me, tell me about the life list? How did this concept get dropped into your spirit? How did it become, you know, something that you have become passionate enough about to pen a book about? Sure. So my grand is I'm a uh, time management coach and goal setting goes very much hand in hand with that in terms of, you know, my job is to find you the time you need to live the life that you want. And so I've always been uh, very focused on finding time, very focused on deliberately using time well and goal setting. Uh, when we entered into COVID in 2020, I think we kind of went into lockdown about March 2020. And in April 2020, my ex-husband, uh, the father of my three amazing children I'd been married to for 22 years, uh, was diagnosed with pancreatic cancer. And within 11 months of his diagnosis, he had passed away and he was only 54. And wow. it was the most brutal experience, Maz, as you can oh, imagine. I can't um, imagine. Watching this incredible, yeah, this charismatic, amazing, wonderful person, um, the father of your children, you know, watching him deteriorate mm. and and then pass away within 11 short months. and. It was just a really brutal wake-up call for me that life is too short. Yeah, you know, and we say it, you know, and I, I know we say it, and but I'd always used it in such a trite way that, mm. you know, life's too short. I'm going to eat a packet of lollies, or you know, life's too short. I'm going to have a sleep in, and and this was a real awakening for me that life is too short. I want to live my life very, very differently, and so I, I decided that I I didn't want a bucket list you know I don't want a list of things I want to do before I die because I don't want to wait that long and Mm. also we just know what's going to be happening to us you know my my ex-partner was diagnosed with an incurable illness and within 11 months he passed away and so life's too short later my too late so I created this concept of a life list a list of everything I want to do while I'm still young enough to love it and enjoy it and live it 
and it became very important to me to get that message out to other women, other men and women, other readers, other listeners, mm. that we need to live a really beautiful, purposeful life right now. Was it helpful uh, in part of your grieving process to, I guess, land on um I'm being careful with what I, how I articulate this because I'm really in the throes of grief myself. It's just, um, I'm I just, so sorry to hear that. No, it's, it's, I haven't really talked about it, but, um, my best friend died in November. Um, he had stage four lymphoma and, um, oh my gosh, I'm so sorry to hear that. It, and it comes in waves. It comes it? in waves. It, um, it comes in waves. And you, I think you can just be going along. Yeah. And I think just hearing your story, firstly, I actually feel really seen right now, which is really comforting for me. And I'm so sorry that you have been through such a loss. But I love that you have found something in it to give yourself and your kids and anyone who's, you know, on that journey, you have found, because I think the thing why I'm struggling with the, the grief is like, I don't understand how this has happened. And it's similar how you explain, like, yeah. you know, you have this really healthy, charismatic, amazing person. And then within, you know, a very short space of time, they, they take their last breath and it's, um, it's really hard to reconcile. And so I think, mm. you know, you are right. Life is too short, but we say that and we don't understand what that means. I think until it hits us with something that's so confronting and so hard and so unexplainable. And so I know when you say, well, life's too short, it's not about having yeah. an extra sugar in your coffee. It's actually about doing meaningful stuff and, and caring for others and, and going out of your way to make things a little bit better. I think that's what it is yeah. for me right now anyway, because that's the resolve I think that helps me kind of get okay with what happened. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, and, and I think you know you're right. You you've got to it, the grief does come in waves, and and you just need to honestly indulge it and and ride the wave. I I feel that um, I like to think of it as almost like Dan's last gift to me. This realization that um, I want to live my life very differently and very very purposefully and it's also then a legacy piece in that he's left me with this gift and and this gift I can share with my children and and my readers that we need to be very purposeful and I think part of it too is just wanting to simplify you know mm. wanting to simplify our lives and and remove the clutter and remove the noise and the busyness and we don't need to be everything for everyone and enjoy the quietness and sit in the sunshine and and feel the warmth of your sun on, on the on your face and all of the simple things mm -hmm. I, I think that 
his leaving has prompted a lot of that in me. You know, I've decluttered the house. I've downsized from our big family house to a smaller apartment for us. And we're doing, you know, it's great. We're all living on top of each other. My boys tell me that they feel like they're Harry Potter and living in <laughs> under the staircase. And I've simplified things. You know, I don't want to acquire more stuff. I want to acquire experiences. I want to be spending time with the people I love the most with them that are special. Um, I want to create memories. I want to tell my kids how much I love them every day, even when they're shitting me. You know, I, <laughs> I just want to be very, very simple at the moment. And it's a very nice way to live. It is. There's something really magical in the simplicity of it's the stuff that we push out when life gets so busy. It's the stuff that we forget to do, like smelling the fresh air and feeling the sun on our skin because we don't have time to step outside and have a walk because everything's so chaotic. And I love the idea of less is more and living out of that place of simplicity is actually really, it's so empowering. And I found, it's interesting that you say how you've decluttered and you've done a few of these things. And that, that was my venture into sobriety. So when I stopped drinking, um, I found, I found quality in the simplicity of life. And so I actually deleted my Instagram. I decluttered. I went through every kitchen cupboard. I realized I had 17 chopsticks, which is an uneven number, which I don't even understand what happened to the 18th one. You know, you just, (laughs) but there's something really freeing about letting go of stuff. And I only found that freedom when I reassessed my relationship with alcohol. And I realized that I was filling all those pockets of time that I now spend going for walks, having cold showers, doing all of the the self-care stuff that's good for my mental health primarily, but also for my physical self. Um, I filled all that time drinking because I didn't know how to deal with big emotions. I didn't know how to face imposter syndrome. Mm. I had no other coping Mm. tools other than alcohol. And I think for, for me, like the fact that I'm going through a big bit of grief um, and not using alcohol is why it's so real and why it's so um, consuming, but in a good way, because at least that means that I'm processing. So that's why I think I asked you, was, you know, coming up with the life list part of your grieving process and to, yeah, again, to like, to help you through navigating those really big, really, you know, I can't imagine it's like you, you spent your whole life with this person. You have these kids together and then they're gone. Like, I don't understand Mm. how you reconcile that, but, but obviously you have Mm. in some way. I don't think that hole in your heart ever gets filled again. Yeah. So it's, it's really interesting because, um, you know, we, we've been married for 22 years um, and he went and, and Dan told me that he didn't love me anymore, that he wanted to leave our marriage. And, um, and it was, you know, it was really hard. And um, I, I threw myself into my kids. I threw myself into my business. Um, he and I, it got to the point where we had reestablished a, a friendship. We were sort of building on, um, what the next iteration of our relationship was going to look like. And um, we were co-parenting pretty well when he got sick. And then 
when he lied, I honestly, when he died, I honestly felt like I'd lost him twice. Mm. And I hadn't sort of, I, I hadn't, I'd been so busy trying to keep busy mm. and trying to be the best possible mum and, you know, run this business and be successful that I hadn't actually stopped and processed the loss. Mm. And so it wasn't until I wrote the life list that I actually processed even his leaving our our marriage. And it was, so to answer your question, it was incredibly cathartic writing mm. about it because I hadn't really, um, I'm not going to say, it wasn't I hadn't faced it. I'd certainly faced it, but I hadn't sat with it. Mm. I hadn't sat in it and I hadn't really felt it until I started writing the book. So writing the book was phenomenally cathartic it was very helpful in terms of healing um from that loss of our of our marriage and and very helpful in helping me process you know Dan's passing away and I mean in a such and a much better place now having gone through that process of use as you say sitting with it mm. and writing about it and I I do wish you know probably that it was something perhaps that I journaled maybe four years ago if I'd sat down and started writing about it yeah um so yeah the the book was a very very helpful healing process for me and not everyone has a book in them and that's okay you know like you had a book in you I had a book in me um but I think my encouragement to anyone who's you know going through grief and leaning on alcohol is that the alcohol isn't going to change the situation. It's just going to rewire your brain to either cope or ignore it temporarily until you stop drinking the alcohol and then the situation is still the situation, you know. And so at some yeah. point... It's just a masking agent. A, it is. And at some point you kind of just have to put on your big girl pants and go... I do need to sit with this and it's really uncomfortable and it's really hard and it's really unfair. But when you do sit with it and, and I think journaling is such, I call it the sobriety superpower because even though you might not be writing a book, no one needs to read what you've written. It gets it out of you. And it's a, the physical action of pen on paper, I feel is a really spiritual process and you stuff can come out of you on that paper with no judgment and it's just getting those feelings sorted and sitting with those emotions and and then you do feel better eventually and but it's only when you are brave enough to sit and go well this really sucks and I'm not having a great time right now <laughs> you know but I think we're so used mm. to in life pretending that we're all good and like everything yeah. has to be great how was Mother's Day? Yeah, I'm fine. It was fine. great. I'm Do you fine. know what? It wasn't great because my four-year-old had the biggest meltdown in the car and I had to pull the car over and take a few deep breaths. Like it wasn't that great. But we say it was great because that's, I don't think people, when they usually ask how are you, they really want to know the truth half the time. And we're so good at not telling it how it really is. Now, I'm not saying that we all need to go on you know, like Facebook sprays on how deeply emotionally traumatized we all are. I think there are there other really constructive ways that you can process uh, your emotions and and deal with the big stuff. But I think that this this example of how one woman can can be okay 
um, in the face of such huge loss times two is a really incredible testament as to the strength that we all have within us to overcome the really big life stuff that we think is too tough, but sometimes it just sideswipes you. It does. It does. Side, and, but, you know, the, the thing is, 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 you know, we all have a backstory, right? Everyone's got trauma in their background and, you know, we've all had taken a hit um, and, and some of us have, it's been, you know, there's a lot of people out there who do, have had much worse experiences than mine. And so it's not about comparing the sadness of the backstory. Mm. It's about acknowledging that, yeah, we all have a backstory, but today onwards, you get to craft your future story. You're the writer in your life. You get to design and craft your future story. And whilst the backstory might inform that a little bit, it doesn't dictate what it is. And what it has to be and you get to write it you you get to pick up the pen and say this is exactly what my life's going to look like from tomorrow onwards and you get to design it and I think that that's the beautiful thing that's the legacy that um I feel that Dan's left me is this idea that I can do and be anything I want from today onwards and and I'm going to enjoy it I'm going to design it I'm going to live it while I'm still young enough to enjoy it I love that so much so for people I know that this episode is probably going to hit home (laughs) for my audience, you know, people who are sober curious, who are, I do feel like there's this sandwich generation um, where it's, it's us, where we're busy with life and relationships and hardship and mortgages and inflation and life. And we have kids that depend on us and parents that are aging. And it's like, we're somehow we have to manage all of those things. Yeah, um, the heat is on. The we heat, are in the kitchen and it's hot. It It's so true. And even just being able to acknowledge that I think is really, um, it feels good sometimes to just go, man, this is hard. Like when did mm. we sign up for this? <laughs> what happened to the good <laughs> old days? You know, and it's not to say that there aren't good days, but on the whole it is a really tricky part of midlife that no one really prepares you for. Um, and and in in the middle of this, um, you know, you, you've got this idea that you were sort of leaning into earlier of simplicity and like living mm. every moment for you know for for what it is and making the most of the moments that we have. Can you give you know someone who's listening to this some encouragement on what that might look like practically so when you've got there's so much going on for us. Um, in Mm. this season of Mm. life and maybe alcohol has become the crutch can you give like a practical Mm. solution and and evenly even talking about the time management using the time that we have a little bit more effectively to bring ourselves a little Mm. bit of relief or happiness yeah yeah it's a great question and I I guess I'll reflect on the or I'll answer in terms of my own kind of journey with being sober curious because um, going through that process of of separating from Dan you know there there was a point in time where I would look forward to the clock reaching 5 p.m so that I could have a glass of wine and it got to the point where it was something I was rewarding myself with each day is a glass of wine at five o'clock and then some days it was two glasses of wine um and it was a ritual and it was a reward and it was this lovely 
um, process that I would go through where it was helping me wind down at the end of the day. And I got to the point where I realized that I just wasn't satisfied with my relationship with that glass of wine anymore, that what had started off as a bit of a reward now felt like it was a need and I didn't want it to be a need. And so I went through the process of deciding that going to, I was going to go cold turkey and have no glasses of wine at 5 p.m. And did that, and it was really hard to break that relationship because even though a lot of people at the time, and I remember having these discussions with my girlfriends and a lot of them were saying, well, it's only a glass, you know, it's it's only two glasses. Why are you putting so much pressure on yourself? Just relax. Mm. You're not an alcoholic. Just just relax. You're, You're taking yourself too seriously. But regardless of that, I felt uncomfortable. I felt like it wasn't a relationship that I was enjoying. So I guess the first thing I'd say is give yourself permission just to meet yourself where you are. And don't judge yourself based on what other people are saying is the right amount to drink or not to drink. Um, once I'd gone through that process of sort of going cold turkey, um, I, I started to realise that I was enjoying waking up with a clear head, that I was going to sleep with a um, an open mind, that I wasn't having nightmares Um, I wasn't waking anxious and guilty. You know, that process of waking that next morning after just one glass of wine where I'd bash myself up and had this awfully destructive self-talk about the fact that I shouldn't have had that glass of wine. And and it just wasn't a positive relationship and it was time for me to end it. And in terms of giving other people, I guess, some wisdom around my own experience is if you are feeling super curious, embrace it. I think that a lot of women our age in midlife are starting to question the relationship with alcohol. Um, I don't, I, you know, and I, I really broke it down. I sat with it and I, I thought I don't even like the taste. Mm. Um, I didn't like how it was making me feel. I didn't like the guilt. I didn't like the self-recrimination. I didn't like the nightmares. I didn't like the anxiety. There wasn't a lot to like. And I think it's so much more acceptable these days just to have that chat with your girlfriends and say, no, look, I, I'm happy to have a soda water. I don't need to have a glass of wine in order to relax anymore. And it's lovely. And and, and the other thing I, I guess I did was I diverted my attention. So knowing that that, that approach to five o'clock, that it was a ritualised kind of approach for me, knowing that that was going to be a trigger point for me I just scheduled into my calendar every single day that at 4 45 I went for a run or a walk I love that and so it was a hard um stop for me knowing that at 4 45 I was going to go for a run or a walk I'd have my gym gear there ready I'd pull it on I'd grab my headphones and I'd go and it it just broke that nexus between me and relaxation time and it just became a nexus of me and um, fitness time so I just I guess I transferred one ritual for another and I found that that really helped me that's so um, that's so smart because if you were to just decide okay I'm not going to have this wine at five but you're just still kicking around the house looking for something to do uh, that it, it's trickier it's it's a lot harder because you might end up in the kitchen 
looking in the fridge <laughs> yeah. at the Savion Blanc. Um, but yeah. by, by actually giving yourself an appointment to be accountable to, so, so, so smart. 4.45, you go, that's right, I'm doing this behaviour now. We're going to do this thing. And how much better did you feel after going for a run or a walk around the block instead of having a glass of wine? Oh, so much better. And and it was just an easy way for me to break that, um, to, to break the ritual by piggyback, piggybacking onto a new habit that was a better habit for me. Yeah. And, um, and, and it also just broke that association and I, I started to crave the, the fresh air and the run as opposed to crave the taste of the first taste of the, of the wine. And, and it was great. And I, I think now I've got to the point with my relationship with alcohol that I don't, you know, maybe I'll have a glass of wine once a month, twice a month, but it's always in a social situation. It's not me at home alone on the couch. Um, it's if I'm going out for for dinner with a friend, and I'll have a glass, and and it's I can now enjoy it for mm. being a glass of wine where there's no guilt and recrimination attached to it. Yeah, uh, I know it's only ever going to be one glass because I don't love the feeling enough that I want to, and I feel like I'm just in a much better place now. Do you know what's really interesting, Kate? I'm not a neuroscientist, believe it or not, but I know a neuroscientist and um, she was explaining to me that um, the alcohol, it does, it hits the your dopamine levels in your brain, the pleasure center. So when, when you're drinking or when it became, it was coming up to five o'clock and you might start salivating for the wine and, and going, oh, it's five o'clock, like I'm craving my wine, I'm having my wine. It's because it's releasing dopamine in your brain, which is the same chemical that going for that run or that walk. So it actually does the same thing mm. in your brain. Your brain doesn't really know the difference. All your brain knows is like the dopamine hit is coming. And so if you can transfer. Yeah, it's getting a reward. If you can transfer. The, and that's why I think replacing the behavior with a, a positive behavior is a great way to kind of, yeah, go cold turkey and break that cycle. You're still getting the dopamine hit. You're just doing it in a way that is better for your mental health, better for your physical body. It's not increasing your risk of cancer. It's not, you know, there's so many reasons why not drinking alcohol is a good choice. But when you don't replace it with another behavior that's going to give you the satisfaction that you actually get from the alcohol, that's going to make it really tough. And another thing I say to people, because I found in my first few months of sobriety, I did find that my biggest, I think, mental hurdle was like, I'm going to be so bored because a lot of my life revolved around social and drinking. And I was like, what am I even going to do? Like, what do people do who don't drink? And my encouragement, <laughs> I know, I know. And now I'm like, I, I don't have time to drink because I'm way too busy living, you know, a, a really fun, sober life. But one thing that I did, I do say to people is if you, if, if you are a sit at home drink drinker, so like your it's your um your decompress from the day, it's your reward at the end of a good day or a bad day or whatever day it's been, finding something else to do, even just with your hands is helpful. That's where decluttering was a really big one for me. But also I didn't take up crochet, but I know a lot of people get into knitting in sobriety because you can yeah. sit on the couch and actually do something with your hands. And not and but not reach for the wine because again it's that physical 
the physical thing of having a drink in your hand becomes so normalized that you're like, what do I do with my hands if there's not a drink in it? So definitely the the run, walk, exercise um, avenue is absolutely a really smart way to go. And to try and do it at the time when you would have been at the bar with friends or at home having the wine, or also if, if that's not your thing or that just doesn't work for you because you've got little kids and you can't, you whatever, finding something to physically do with your hands, it sounds, it sounds a bit silly, but it actually, it gives you something else to do and something else to focus on to take your mind off. And yeah, absolutely it is. The other thing I did do, but not consciously associating it with um, sobriety, but looking back now, it's, it's helped, it helped so much was um, Boxing Day two years ago, I started swimming at the beach with my sisters and we go every single morning rain hail or shine 365 days of the year except at the I haven't been for the last week because I've had the flu but um fair enough otherwise you're excused. I'm in the water every morning yeah I'm in the water every single morning and um it's that rush that you get from the cold water swim or a cold water shower um is amazing and I, I, I'm definitely addicted to that and I can compare that to say that first glass of wine or that first sip of wine and, and the, the cold water swim is 10,000 times better. So if, but for some of your listeners, if you live near a beach, you know, take the plunge, give it a try uh, or have a cold water shower. But that sort of ritual again is another one that just makes your body feel so good. I could not agree with you more. I have a cold shower every morning, Kate, and it's coming into winter and it's getting colder. But um, I've actually done, I've read a lot of research about cold immersion therapy and what, again, what it does to your brain. Um, Dr. Andrew Huberman from Huberman Lab, um, he, he's amazing. He's in your, I love neuroscientists. Yeah. Uh, He's amazing. Yeah, I listen to his podcast. He does a great explain on why, like what the cold water actually does in your, for your physiology, but also for your mental health. Um, And I, it's funny because when I, the general reaction when I say I have a cold shower every morning and people are like, well, you're insane. And I'm like, well, I am a bit insane. And I'll, (laughs) I'll take that as a compliment. Sure. But they're like, I could never do that. I'm like, yeah, but, and this is if somebody's, you know, like sober curious or still drinking, I'm like, how, how crappy do you feel after a big night out? Like you feel really rubbish, right? But you're willing to go and drink alcohol knowing full well you're either going to vomit, black out, or feel like utter rubbish for maybe the following 24 hours. You're willing to roll the dice on feeling like utter shit for 24 hours just so you can have your drink. I'm in a cold shower for two minutes. It's two minutes of feeling uncomfortable and then I feel amazing for the day. So who's the insane person yeah. in this scenario? <laughs> you know, not, not to label exactly. and I'm, I'm being, I am, you know, I'm being a bit fun. I'm not, you know, I'm, act, I'm, not, gen, I'm not actually judging and judging yeah. people because I know it, it, it is a tricky one. But when you break it down... That's kind of what we're talking about here. It's like, so you're, yeah, you're, you're willing to have a few glasses of wine knowing full well you're going to feel like utter rubbish, and, but I'm willing to stand in a cold shower for two minutes knowing that I'm going to feel amazing. And, and it's a little bit of uncomfortability that I think we as humans just dislike in general. Again, back to grief. It's why we don't like sitting with our feelings when they're not the good ones. 
you know, and then, and sometimes we're so avoidant that we feel guilty for feeling bad for God's sake. So then we try and, you know, <laughs> then we sabotage and we do all kinds of crazy things. But I do, I, I absolutely echo your encouragement for people to get in a freezing cold ocean, get under a cold shower, do an ice bath. And yet, it, you know what? It's not fun for the first second. It's not fun for a few seconds. But when you plunge under that water in the ocean and you come up, you can't help but go, <gasps> and you take in so much oxygen and it just, it oxygenates your blood and your, it's just the best, it's the best thing. It completely rewires your brain. It does. It totally does. We, and I get why we, you're addicted to it. Oh, it is. We have an 11 minute swim and in the middle of winter, I would say the first seven minutes, we've usually timed it by six to seven minutes, we're okay. You're okay. But those first seven minutes are agony. Yeah. But you know that the euphoria is coming and it's the euphoria that is the addiction. And so once we sort of click past that seven minutes and, and then we, you know, we're screaming and we're laughing and we're making so much noise and it is absolutely euphoric and um, it's a wonderful, wonderful feeling. I love it. Um, so give it a go. Maybe jump in the shower for 30 seconds. Uh, it is uncomfortable, but it does does have incredible benefits. Well, that's the recommendation is to start by having your regular shower and then turning it cold for the final 30 seconds of the shower. That's how. That's sort of the recommended um, way to dip your toe in, so to speak, uh, to start there. And then, you know, it doesn't, that's sort of how I started doing this about a year ago. And now it, I, I wouldn't have a warm shower in the morning. I just, it, it, I feel too good after the cold shower. And even at night I have, I'm a two shower a day girl. I have a warm shower in the evening and then I will blast the cold for the, the final minute. So I get out of that cold shower. And it does really amazing things to help regulate your body temperature as well. Like it's, this, it balances your hormones and your circadian rhythm. And I feel like I sleep, but like there's so many benefits. Mm-hmm. I can't even go through them all. But it is one of those ones where you're like, oh, be just be brave enough. Just be brave and jump in the pool. Mm-hmm. And within a few minutes, you'll be like, that was a good decision. It may sound crazy, but yeah. it is... Yeah, it's it it is it's kind of like my little new addiction as well. I jumped in a pool yesterday with my my son's four, and he loves jumping in. Oh, he loves his jumping in general. It's sixteen degree <laughs> pool, sixteen degrees, and I jumped in and I couldn't feel my legs, but it was the best thing ever. And then he jumped in, and I've never never seen the kid swim this fast in his life. <laughs> <laughs> to get to the other side, but it, but then you just he like him explaining how cold it was like he was just full of just so much energy and life and just he was so excited that he did it you know and and I felt the same I was like this yeah. is so wild but so um so beneficial for so many reasons so I love that for you that's so cool yeah I love it too so um. I guess just wrapping up, I mean, I just, I love, I guess, the simplicity of what your message is, Kate, because I do think everyone is, everyone's busy, we're overworked, we're stressed, we're tired, and it's really hard to see through the mist and the fog of real life. And I think sometimes 
when you go through a crisis, like as you have and as I have, it does give you a level of clarity. And so, you know, in a way, finding, like I said, the the good or the message in the mess is hard, but so worth it. And I think that you sharing, you know, your story is, I think it will really inspire people who aren't going through a crisis, but to find the simplicity now. Thank you. Thank you so much. And I I, I hope so. I, I guess if I could leave your listeners with one message, it is to, you know, be kind to yourself, be kind to the people around you. Think about very deeply what's most important in your life. What is it that you value the most? Who are the people you value the most? And make sure that you invest time in those things and those people and 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 live your best life and and do it from today thanks for listening to last drinks podcast if you love this podcast then subscribe for more inspiration and to reach out you can follow us on instagram at last drinks pod hold up what was that Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan, crusted chicken, or garlic, butter, shrimp, scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com.